The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And you? But doing well, Father. Blessed Christmas to you. Blessed Christmas to you. And St. Stephen's Day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And to all of our viewers as well. Very absolutely. blessed Christmas. I don't know if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to ask some prayers for recently deceased, you know, just in the days before Christmas, we uh, had uh, the death of a dear parishioner, Robert Gorey, and uh, we also uh, uh, had the death of Jim Selway, the father of uh, one of our priests, Father Benjamin Selway, and also the, the brother of uh, one of our sisters, maybe two of our sisters, actually religious sisters, Dan Wall, died at an early age. And uh, also uh, Michael Hauer and uh, a long-standing parishioner and dear friend from New York, Regina Daly. So ask prayers for all those good souls. There are many more, too, many more for whom we should pray. God knows who they are, and uh, he, will, he will certainly accept what prayers we offer out of faith, hope, and charity and apply it to the benefit of these souls. But also, uh, there are many ill, too. We have many, many people who are very ill right now across the country. And uh, they know that uh, you pray, and our viewers pray, and they commend themselves to our prayers. So please, let's, uh, let's, let's pray for them all. Ask God to have mercy on them, bless them, uh, give them the um, relief from their ailments, or, or the grace to endure them gracefully and uh, lovingly for him. So, uh, in any case, I commend them all to your prayers. Okay. Thank you for that, Father. Uh, well, tonight, Father, I'd like to dedicate our program to uh, a topic that has definitely been a recurring theme on our show. In fact, I think I could safely say every single one of the programs that I have uh, had the pleasure of doing with you over the past five years has, uh, in some way, shape, or form, involved, <laughs> uh, or at least mentioned the topic of prayer. Um, but Father, I don't believe we, we have uh, spent too much time specifically talking about mental prayer. We talk a lot about vocal prayer on the program, whether it uh, be the Rosary or uh, we've even done programs on the Our Father. We've talked about the Hail Mary and um, we, we, it seems we talk a lot about vocal prayer. But um, there's also, of course, this aspect of mental prayer. And so I would like to ask first, Father, could you uh, perhaps somewhat briefly explain to our viewers what is the difference between vocal prayer and mental prayer? Well, Tom, in the first place, there's no such thing as non-mental prayer. Right? Um, even vocal prayer must be mental. Uh, when we talk about something being uh, like mental prayer, having, it has the mind involved and uh, there's not such thing as mindless prayer. <laughs> prayer, by definition, as uh, we were instructed by St. Augustine long ago, 
is the raising of one's heart and mind to God, right? One's mind and heart, well, again, you know, the very definition calls for that, so there's no such thing as mindless prayer. Even when we pray the rosary, perhaps especially when we pray the rosary, we not only have the prayers said out loud much of the time, especially when we're praying it together, we do vocalize the prayer, we uh, pray the Our Father together, we pray the Hail Mary together, even without uh, outside the rosary. When you pray the Angelus, as we do now, during Christmas time, and throughout the rest of the year, except for uh, Passion Time, and uh, we, uh, except for, uh, for Paschal Time, we, uh, we always engage the mind. In fact, one could pray all of the vocal prayers of the Rosary and never actually pray if he spent the entire time just reciting the words without thinking of the mysteries of the rosary that wouldn't be really praying the rosary, would it? So, um, so in any case, it's wrong to, to think of there being a clear distinction between vocal prayer and mental prayer because all vocal prayer, uh, when we're pronouncing the words of the prayers out loud, that must be joined with a mind that is raised to God and a heart that is turned to God. When we turn our minds to God, what we're doing is we're, we're mindful of Him and we're giving Him our attention. We're actually thinking about God or the things that pertain to God, you know, His, uh, His perfections, and virtues, and so on. And we also have to couple that also with an act of the will. The mind involves our intelligence, the ability that we have to know what is true. And um, our intelligence can proceed by discursive reasoning as we reason things through, as with meditation. But our minds are not limited to discursive reasoning and, and, and thinking things through because God himself can inspire us and also instruct us directly. Um, and ultimately, that's what we want to have happen when we, when we pray we want God's thoughts to come into our minds, not just to produce our own uh, thoughts, of our own, the product of our own reasoning process, but we want God to guide us. We want the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to be there and uh, impressing directly upon our minds uh, a deeper knowledge of God Then we can simply derive that on our own by our own you know, limited cogitation. So... Um, that's a very important distinction to make because it involves, again, distinctions in the kind of mental prayer we're, we're making. But not only do we actually turn our minds to God, that's the faculty for uh, knowing God's truth, but we also have to turn our wills to God. And the will is the faculty that God has given to us to enable us to love. And so we turn our affection and our love to God too. We make an act of acknowledgement of God. We think of him, and we think of him in a certain way. <coughs> and uh, we also love him. Um, so one might, might say that just pronouncing the words of a prayer out loud does not really constitute prayer. One might even say that pronouncing the words of a prayer and thinking about God at the same time does not necessarily constitute prayer. But pronouncing the words out loud of a prayer and speaking vocally, um, at the same time thinking of God 
and making an act of love for him, then you have prayer. But the, um, whether you're speaking out loud the words of a prayer or whether you're just thinking them in your mind, you're thinking about God and you're making an act of love for him, that is the essence of prayer. Okay. Without that, there really isn't prayer. Well, Father, um, in regards to mental prayer, we read, I think, all of the, the spiritual writers speak on the, the importance of it, but um, could you perhaps tell us in, in your own words, why is mental prayer so important to us, and what are the benefits of mental prayer? Well, mental prayer, as I mentioned, first of all, is the very essence of prayer, right? There is no prayer without it. The, the mind and the, and, the, uh, and the heart, the intelligence and the will have to be engaged for there to really be prayer. How important is it? Well, our Lord tells us that we should pray always. And we are continually told in the gospel, watch and pray, watch and pray. Be vigilant and pray. In other words, we have to be very watchful against temptation, but uh, we have to couple that watchfulness with prayerfulness too. In other words, we are on guard against the wrong influences. That's the, the watchfulness. And we have to have our minds and our hearts engaged in the right influences. In other words, we want the divine influence of the Holy Ghost to be at work in our souls. So it's not just a matter of being on guard against the influence of the evil spirit, of, of Lucifer, his, his minions. <clears throat> it's not just being on guard against the evil influences of the world. It's not just a matter of being on guard against the evil influences of the flesh. Because the world and the flesh and the devil, we're told by sacred scripture, are the three sources, the three great sources of temptation that we have to be on guard against and watchful against. But that in itself, again, would not be adequate without the prayer part, because by prayer, we are completely open to the influence of Almighty God. We are open to the influence of the Holy Ghost. Um, we want His direction uh, in our lives, and uh, that is absolutely uh, uh, required for anyone to save his soul have that divine influence of the grace of God. And uh, that can only be obtained by prayer, really. Someone's prayer. I know that if I have uh, the Holy Ghost guiding me and uh, the influence of God in my life, it's because I'm praying. And if I'm not praying, I know somebody else must be praying for me to bring that influence into my life. So prayer is absolutely essential. And as I say, for there to be prayer, it is absolutely essential that it engage the mind and the heart the intelligence, and the will. Now, we have to remember that all prayer has as its objective, well, basically four things, right? And so when we engage in prayer, and by that I mean we engage our minds and our hearts in prayer, we have four purposes in mind. And the chief purpose is the adoration of God. So no matter what kind of prayer we're offering, um, there must always be that uh, over overriding uh, element or component in prayer that we are praying in adoration of God. And that is what moves us to turn our minds and our hearts to Him. Uh, his, his beauty, his, his truth, His goodness, His beauty, um, all of those things are motivations for us to turn to Him 
in in adoration uh, to acknowledge his absolute sovereignty over us, that we owe our very existence to him, that he created us out of love, even before we existed. He's moved by the very thought of us, the, the love of us, even in thought, to create us. <coughs> he sustains our existence moment by moment and uh, sustains us in the state of grace by moment, moment by moment. <coughs> All of these are very powerful motives to be, well, to adore him as the supreme being uh, from which we ourselves take our own, our, derive our own being. So we start with that. We always have to be aware of the fact that we are there just as we are here to live our lives. Our very purpose of our existence is to adore God. Um, and then we, we find the other reasons that we have to pray too. I mean, we pray in contrition because there are times where we do not acknowledge God. We do not adore him. When we sin, when we sin against him and defy him, we reject him by mortal sin. Um, and for that, in the very process of adoring God, we obviously have to apologize for the times we fail to do so. Uh, what is our adoration to God? Does God need our adoration? Does he need our love? No. Does he need us to love? In other words, does uh, a creature... Um, add anything to the love that God has, the love that God gives, does the creature's love for God add anything to him at all? And the answer is no, absolutely nothing at all. He has infinite goodness, infinite love. And the life of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is absolutely complete unto itself. It's infinitely perfect. But as the philosophers tell us, the theologians, it is the very nature of goodness that it tends to share it tends to communicate itself. And God, therefore, by a free act of his divine will, generously shares his love, and that means shares existence with you and me. He shares that with us. It is an act of supreme love on his part. And uh, there are times we reject that love. We owe him an apology for that. So we have not only adoration as our primary motive, but the times that we fail to adore him and to acknowledge him uh, as our, our supreme and only good, our ultimate good, we owe him an apology. And he accepts that apology uh, through our divine Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We can actually fruitfully make an apology and be, re and be forgiven and be redeemed from our sins. And that brings us to the third uh, purpose of prayer, and that is to thank him. To thank Almighty God for all of his blessings, from just the most basic uh, act of, uh, the most basic gift of all, our very existence, to all the things that he has given to us, all the blessings that he bestowed upon us. There are those who think of nothing but what they want and they don't have, and they appreciate nothing that they do have, and they are doomed to live a miserable existence in this life, and they will, they will actually have hell in the next um, but those who are very much aware of the blessings of God, not uh, selfishly obsessing about the things they want that they don't have, but really appreciating the blessings they do have, they're very happy in this life, very happy. And they will be happy in the next two. 
they will reap the rewards of uh, an act of gratitude, that thanksgiving to God, and God will bless them for that, and they will save their souls and have everlasting life. And the, the fourth thing, the fourth thing after adoration and contrition and, uh, and reparation that goes with it, and thanksgiving, is supplication. In other words, God wants us to ask him for his continued and even increased blessings. Um, does he need us to ask? No, he knows what we need, clearly. Our Lord makes it very clear in the, in the Gospels. But actually, the very act of asking on our part removes the obstacles in us that resist God's blessings and graces to us. And so often God tries to give us his blessings and his graces, and it meets some kind of obstacle within us. And the very act of, of uh, supplicating God's mercy and asking for his continued blessing, and even to increase them, is very pleasing to him. As a child comes to the father. I mean, after all, you know, when a, a true father knows what his child needs, and he's going to provide that. But there's something about the child asking that is for the child's own good. Right? And the father is, is very much um, pleased by the child asking and, and uh, being grateful also. So those two, uh, that is to say the third and the fourth aspect of prayer, are also very important for us, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> for our own soul's formation in grace. Now, when we, when we approach God in mental prayer, uh, we are making those four acts. We are actually acting with those four things in mind. To start with the idea of approaching God in prayer in adoration of him. You know, if you were called to uh, an audience with a, a, a great, great king, the first thing in your mind would be, my goodness, I mean, who am I to be in the presence of this great and, and uh, great king? I mean, I would think of him as, as his majesty, my, my lord, the king. And uh, this is only an earthly king, and people think in terms of, of their unworthiness to be in the presence of the king. But you and I, I mean, we, uh, we can put ourselves in the presence of God at any moment, recognizing that we're already there, that God is already attentive to us at every single moment, that he comprehends every single molecule, every single atom in every molecule, every single electron in every single atom of every single molecule in our bodies. Uh, as our Lord put it, the very hairs on our heads are numbered. That's how mindful God is of us, continually mindful of us. Every thought in our mind, every need we have, Every desire, every, every virtue we have, every lack of virtue, vice we have, God is mindful of that. He knows it perfectly in a way that you and I can't, can't even know ourselves. He knows it. So this is a father who has complete comprehensive knowledge of, of us personally. We're always present to him in his knowledge and always present to him in his love. <clears throat> and we should be actually mindful of the fact that we are in the presence of this great Lord and King continually throughout our entire lives. Um, that should be a very humbling thought. It's the first thing we should think of when we go to pray, is immediately to elicit an act of adoration for him. That should sort of lead the way for everything else, every other thought that follows, you know. So, um, and in humility, we, we acknowledge our, our failings to acknowledge him um, 
So that's that's a very good start to to, to begin the mental prayer. You know, you know, you notice that um, when you were talking about mental prayer, we're talking about some a very specific act of the intelligence and a very specific act of the will that a person makes a decision that I'm going to pray because he has many other things on his mind during the day. So he actually has to make a decision to take the time and the energy in this moment of his existence to turn his mind exclusively to God and turn his heart exclusively to God in an act of being mindful of God and that he is in the presence of God and that he is loved by God and that he also is called upon to, to love in return. It's a very specific decision that a person makes to take this moment of his life to turn his mind and his heart to God. So when we engage in mental prayer, we're making that decision, we clear everything else out of our mind, and we devote our attention and our affection to God. Mm -hmm. And, well, Father, uh, practically speaking about how we do this, um, this, this prayer that you're describing, again, the spiritual writers have... Um, have enumerated uh, various various methods, actual step-by-step -step methods of practicing this this mental prayer, and I think um, there are several variations, very common variations um, uh, of different methods of mental prayer. But I think the very slight variations amongst them, and uh, I think across the board, they all begin with this idea of placing oneself in the presence of God, and this is mm -hmm. this is the very the very first thing, um, but as you're describing, this is this is not a a, a light thing <laughs> to place oneself in the presence of God. This is really the very essence uh, of prayer, and yet all of these spiritual writers describe this as only the very very first step um, to to mental prayer. Um, so there's there's a lot a lot more that that comes after that. But that would be not there is. Bad. well. Saint Thomas Aquinas uh, says that God is present everywhere at all times in His knowledge. In, in his power, and in his essence. He says in those three ways, God is naturally present to everything at every moment. Uh, he knows it, including ourselves, and he has complete power over it, even its own its existence. He has complete power over it. But it even is called into existence by him in, to reflect some of his goodness, especially human beings who are created in his, in his image to reflect God's knowing and loving and his beauty, to reflect that, to rejoice in what is beautiful. Um, now, over and above that is his presence by, by grace, sanctifying grace. That's a supernatural presence. So our Lord spoke of that when he said that if anyone loves me, and in particular with St. John chapter 6, he talks about receiving him in Holy Communion. The Father and I will come and dwell within him, within him, by grace. Be present in his very soul, as, as, in the, in the, as really as the Blessed Sacrament and the Tabernacle. Christ is present in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, so Christ is present in the, uh, in the human soul by divine grace, he said. And of course the Holy Ghost there, present also. And... Um, you know, that, again, is uh, part of the method, for example, of, of St. Uh, Teresa of Avila and um, other, other saints who actually would, in a sense, turn inward and ponder that divine presence 
by sanctifying grace in her own soul. But the reason why that, that method of hers was so efficacious is because it, it brings very powerfully to mind that we all live our lives in the divine presence. I mean, we are there whether we're mindful of God or not. He is mindful of us. Perfectly, absolutely mindful of us. And knows us infinitely perfectly. So one can go through his whole life being not only ignorant of God, but even desperately trying to escape from God. But there is no escape. His very existence depends upon that act of the divine will. And that act of the divine knowledge knows him. And so what we're doing when we... Uh, we're not turning God's mind and God's will to ourselves. We're turning our minds and our wills to him and acknowledging what is perpetually true, and that is that we are living in his presence. But as St. Paul says, in Him, in whom we live and we move and we are. That's what he says. That's how he puts it. <clears throat> so it's just actually taking our minds off of the uh, ephemeral things of the world and devoting them and acknowledging that divine presence that is continually there, around us, within us, by nature, but even for those in the state of grace, but supernaturally, by sanctifying grace in the soul. Um, one has to uh, start there with all mental prayer. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, I would like to um, get into a little bit more of the uh, actual nuts and bolts of the some of the methods that are um, proposed for us by the spiritual writers, but um, I guess not to discourage any uh, beginners and mental prayer like myself, of course. Um, would would you recommend to someone, uh, a beginner in mental prayer, that they would uh, simply begin by focusing on this one aspect of placing oneself in the presence of God? And if they could master that, that would actually be a great... Very great first step. I, I do, Tom, actually, yes. I think uh, without that, I mean, th th their mental prayer is not going to go very far. Okay. It'll remain very superficial. Mm -hmm. But uh, if they even just begin by starting to, I mean, there are methods. One can memorize the method step by step by step. The method can itself become a form of distraction and can actually be discouraging for those who, who uh, have trouble let's say, focusing on the method and, and not getting beyond it. Um, but certainly the, the first step is for a person to be just place himself in the presence of God often during the day. And um, he doesn't have to place himself to be present to God, but he has to place himself to, to have for God to be present to him, so to speak, you know, right. for him to be aware. Right. And so... He has to make an act of the, uh, the intellect and the will to do that. Um, it starts with the will deciding, I, I'm going to seek the, the, uh, the infinite goodness of God. I'm going to turn my mind to think of him. I will that to be, because he is the, my, my perfect goodness. All my, all my hope, all my love belong there with him. And um, when they find themselves doing that often during the day, even just for a moment, they're going to find more and more and more, well, but as our Lord say, come to me, all you are laboring and are burdened, for I, I will refresh you. You'll find rest for your souls, our Lord says. And they will find as they do that, 
as they are making themselves mindful of God during the day, <clears throat> they really do find that, that, that lovely rest for their souls that our Lord has promised them there. And uh, they will want to return to it. Uh, the Old Testament talks about the, the deer seeking the, the cool, clear waters you know, to refresh itself. <clears throat> and uh, likens the soul to that, you know, drawing these living waters you know, for refreshment. And the more one does seek that uh, presence of God in one's life, uh, the more one will find that supernatural spiritual refreshment. It's good for the soul, mm -hmm. obviously. Life-giving for the soul. And that is the beginning. That's the beginning of mental prayer. The conditio sine qua non, as they say. The condition without which there is none. Um, so, yeah, I'd say one has to uh, begin with that. Okay. Well, after beginning with that um, practice of placing oneself in the presence of God and calling him to mind, uh, one would actually begin the, his, his considerations or the meditation mm -hmm. proper. Um, obviously, there are several questions that come to mind uh, when, we, when we get to this point. But first, Father, how, how should one go about choosing the, the subjects that he actually meditates upon mm -hmm. i mean of course there are um you know all, all of the virtues that that we that we need to acquire we could meditate on the virtues there are um scripture mm -hmm. verses that we should meditate on scenes from our lord's life w with this vast uh, array of, of fruit for meditation out there how do we choose what we should meditate on personally well you know again tom when you talk about meditation you're talking about our process of discursive reasoning and following a certain mental program that we've set for ourselves for mm -hmm. our prayer which is good. I mean, we, we need some kind of structure there so we don't just uh, wander. Our imaginations will take over in a minute. We'll be wandering all over the universe with our imaginations, completely lost. So we do need to follow a certain path or a certain program. But uh, we have to always keep in mind, though, that that is a stepping stone. Okay? A meditation is, is a matter of our discursive reasoning. In other words, we're, we're thinking about certain subjects that we've set up part for ourselves, and that's what you're referring to, that we find is, are important for us, for our own spiritual progress. And so um, someone who maybe has a tendency to be, uh, to fly off the handle, to be irritable, and uh, gives in to frustration very easily might say, well, I need to meditate on the virtue of, of patience. Somebody who tends to be rather brash or rash might say, well, I need to meditate on the virtue of prudence. Uh, somebody who tends to have a great weakness in impurity might say, I've got to meditate on the virtue of purity. And, um, and so on. I mean, any, any one of the... Uh, uh, one might say, I personally need to meditate on this particular virtue because I can see that I'm lacking in this. And in, in meditating on these virtues, we're actually meditating on the virtues of God. Because all of these virtues are contained... Uh, infinitely in the divine being. I mean, this is the source of all of these. <clears throat> and um, they are perfections. And insofar as they are perfections, they are uh, perfections of Almighty God, infinitely so. <clears throat> God wants us to have those perfections too. As our Lord said, be ye perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we, he wants us to acquire these virtues. <clears throat> and not only by our own efforts, but by praying for the grace too. From God, that uh, God would make them not only acquired virtues because we feel that we need them in our repertoire, but um, 
but that they're supernatural virtues which we've requested for the service of God and out of love for Him. That's why we want to be patient. That's because not just because it, it makes us better investors, uh, but because it pleases God and we can serve Him more perfectly. So it's motivated by a supernatural motive of divine love when we seek these virtues. <clears throat> so when we're, we're meditating on, the, on these various virtues, uh, we are actually meditating uh, out of love for God to achieve, to obtain something for our souls that we need to serve Him well and to be faithful for him, to Him, to please Him. Uh, in other words, even, even to be more like God, God-like with these strengths of soul, these virtues. So, when we choose a subject, for example, then we, we can choose various aspects of that virtue. We might say, well, I'm going to start by being mindful uh, of my own lack of patience, for example. I'm going to think of the times that I regret now that I was very impatient and I lament and I've confessed these things perhaps or I should anyway if I haven't and I I recognize in these circumstances when I have displeased God and perhaps scandalized others by my impatience and I'm lamenting this and I'm repenting of it um, but I mean as I think about these things I might remember two or three or four or five occasions I wouldn't go any more than that of times that I failed miserably in patience. And the purpose of that is not to beat myself up simply and flagellate myself before God and talk about how awful and rotten I am, uh, because that's a given. I already know that, right? <laughs> but the purpose of that is to uh, apologize. Remember I said that contrition is the second purpose, right? But also because I need to, to recognize that I need God's help. And so I come to him motivated by a love for him, seeking his help with patience. And so I might ask God then to enable me to reflect upon the divine patience. After I recognize my own impatience and, and lament it, repent of it, I might then turn my attention to thinking about God's patience. How patient God was with me, for example, when I was being so impatient. Why would God put up with that for me? But he didn't. And I might be amazed at that. I should be. And I might also think in terms of the patience that was exhibited by our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his, his patience, not only during his passion, which is certainly the main focus, right, considering the patience of Christ during his passion, but even throughout his entire life, from the fact that he has conceived the fact in a woman and then brought into this world, uh, the fact that he, that he is born into this world and under the circumstances in which he came, the fact that the, the very first uh, greeting that he received uh, from the world as we know it was an attempt of a king to put him to death, mercilessly butcher him with the children of Bethlehem. That's the first official act of the powers of this world on uh, receiving him. And, uh, and so on, and all of the things our Lord put up with. When you read the Gospel and you think about all the things that our Lord had to put up with from his apostles, and how often he had to rebuke them for their failures, for their own good. When we think about uh, how slow they were uh, to understand what he was teaching them, 
when we think about uh, all of the impositions that went on in our Lord's life, as he was surrounded by sinfulness everywhere he turned. Um, and uh, not only what our Lord endured from his apostles, but he had endured from his enemies, the blasphemies and uh, the calumnies launched against him and how patient our Lord was with all of that. And uh, the impudence, this the impudence that we're so guilty of. And our Lord moved among us, you know, constantly, day by day. He was confronted with this day by day. Um, and of course, you know, we come to um, um, the lack of appreciation that surrounded him everywhere. Um, so that when the time came for him to be condemned and the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees were all rousing the crowd against him to demand crucify him, crucify him. I mean, you know, you think about the man with the withered arm or the woman, you know, with uh, other debilities. And were those voices and those hands raised against him, crying, crucify him, crucify him too? Um, the voices that he restored to the dumb and the, the arm he restored to the withered arm, you know, were these all raised against him, demanding his crucifixion? The lepers that he cured, I mean, who were these people who were stirred into a frenzy against him? That's what sin does, you know. Total lack of appreciation. And then the, the probably the unkindest cut of all, uh, even perhaps worse than what Judas did, what Peter did. You know, all of these things should come to our minds about the patience of our Lord. And we're not remembering these things to think about how rotten we are. We're, we're thinking about rather how patient, how, how well, supernaturally patient God is with us. And we marvel at the patience of God. And the marveling at the patience of God really um, uh, just in, in, the, in the, the light of that, I mean, even our impatience kind of is engulfed, you know, in the amazing patience of God. Um, and that should take all of our attention then as we're meditating about that. And even today, I mean, we find God constantly be the object of so much scorn, so much hatred, so much malice. There are those who not only want to uh, spit in his face now and strike him in the face as they did then, but there are those who really would like to annihilate him. They would like to annihilate him if they could. In the world today, there are those who want to basically make him go away and just disappear entirely, not only from their lives, but from the life of everybody, from the mind of everyone. And uh, so that even goes beyond the scorn of God. Uh, when, when something is truly hated, a person wants to annihilate it. You know? And uh, there are those who actually hate God. Inconceivable, but true. It's the worst sin that a person can commit, the hatred of God. And uh, God puts up with this. Why? Why does he continue putting up with this? There's only one reason. It's, it's divine love. The divine love ultimately will overcome all of this hatred. Ultimately. Will triumph over all of it. So it's important for me not only to meditate upon my own impatience, which draws from my pride and my petty insistence that everything be as I want it to be, or think I want it to be at the moment, 
And on the other hand, Almighty God, who is willing to be contradicted so continually, so prodigiously by his miserable creatures, moment by moment, century after century, eon after eon, throughout the history of mankind from the very beginning, till this very moment. Um, and I just marvel at the divine patience. And I say, oh God, please. Then I, I, I turn the attention then to uh, then thinking, well, what does God want me to do then? Maybe my third consideration would be, okay, in light of the divine patience and my, my need to follow the divine patience as my, as my example, what does our Lord want of me? How should I deal with these things that I deal with every day? How should I deal especially with those things that are just a necessary part of the warp and woof of my life that I'm going to be encountering day by day? How would God want me to deal with these things now, grace, graciously and gracefully? And so I might uh, come up with some very good ideas, you know, I mean, but more importantly, I'm asking our Lord to tell me what he wants of me. Um, this is um, a very important part of the meditation where we think not, well, what am I going to do for God now? But, oh Lord, what is it that you wanted me? You know, instruct me on how you want me to deal with this now, what you want me to do differently. Because all meditation has to be of a practical purpose, you know. It has to make us better. Better in the sense of more responsive to God's grace. And uh, loving him more, that we're more uh, serviceable, as it were, you know, to his will. And so uh, we, want, we want God himself to instruct us as to what he wishes of us now. How he wants us to deal in the practical order with these various things that we find as stumbling blocks so often. And uh, then we would uh, close with uh, a prayer, asking, asking the Holy Ghost to inspire us, to guide us, to uh, strengthen us. You know, the Holy Ghost's role is to, first of all, enlighten our minds with truth and then inspire us with a love for goodness, uh, ultimately for a love for God. And um, now, there, there, I'm just talking about some very basic steps to be taken, okay? Uh, you might say the bare bones, um, because we uh, see the various methods that are given by various spiritual writers, and each one of them has a particular aspect of it, which is kind of sui generis. It, explain, it tells us that this particular saint, or spiritual writer, has a certain aspect to it of his own making that is significant to him. But when you look at the elements of meditation that are common to all of the spiritual writers. I mean, these are the things that I'm looking at right now that I think are just the, the, the essential common elements. That we come away um, and close our meditation by, again, reflecting on those four purposes. Uh, we make an act of adoration to Almighty God, we again express our sorrow for having offended God and make that firm purpose of amendment for the future to be faithful. And then we thank God for the graces that he's given to us. And finally, we ask him to give us the graces we need right now to be faithful to him in everything. So um, it's always a good idea for us to invoke the Blessed Mother, 
and uh, to ask her to be a uh, spiritual mentor. Um, it, of, of all God's creatures, she loves him not only the most, but she loves him in a unique way that nobody else, angelic or human, can love him. She's the only creature of God who can love him as a mother loves her own child. And so we turn to her. She wants us to love her son. And um, she paid a great price for us under the cross, allowing her mother's heart to be pierced by the sword for our sakes. So she has a very personal interest in our salvation. And so it would be a mistake not to invoke our Blessed Mother's help there in her prayers on our behalf. Uh, our patron saint, our guardian angel, all of those who are closely associated with us in this life, uh, we want them to be closely associated with us in, in the next two. So it's a good idea to uh, start as a practice also closing by recalling them all and asking them also to be our uh, uh, partners, as it were, in the salvation of our souls. Well, Father, you've given us a very beautiful meditation on patience, but how, how long should I continue to meditate on patience? Let's say on Sunday night, you convince me that I am very impatient, so I decide Monday morning to do a meditation on patience. It's not as if after that meditation I say, oh, I'm now patient, and then on Tuesday morning I decide to meditate on something else. How long do I continue that meditation on patience? Because there are certainly other virtues upon which I, I wish well, to improve. Question. You mean how long on a given period of meditation? Or how long should you repeat the meditation? How long should I repeat the meditation? Until you're patient. <laughs> no. <laughs> when, when you, uh, you should meditate, uh, I, I would recommend meditating on that mm -hmm. until it gets uh, kind of stuck in the sense that you find yourself simply repeating the same thing over and over again, and it seems to be coming uh, somewhat dry. And, uh, um, but, um, but I wouldn't give up at that. I mean, you might then decide to meditate on some other, other aspect of a spiritual life. You, you might even uh, you know, decide today, well, rather than meditate on a virtue, a particular virtue, I'm going to meditate on the words of our Lord from the Gospel of last Sunday. There are certain words of the Gospel, maybe a, a sentence or two, or maybe even just a phrase that strikes me as having a much deeper meaning. And I really want to devote my, my thoughts to that and ask our Lord to take me by the hand and lead me deeper into this significance of what he says in this case. Right? Um, even the, the very idea, as I mentioned before, when our Lord says, uh, the very hairs on your head are numbered. I mean, one could, one could meditate on the, the implications of that statement of our Lord. What is he telling us by this? Or be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. One could, you know, a very, very holy soul could spend uh, hours just meditating on that very thought, you know, the implications of it. What does it mean? It's not a theological thing so much, and we're looking for the spiritual implications of this um, and how it, it has a practical effect or should have a practical effect in our lives. You know, when you think um, uh, of our Lord's words, for this was I born and for this I came into the world of our witness to the truth. Anything our Lord said, you know, would be an ample subject of meditation for 
much of our time. Um, one might say, okay, well, I do need the virtue of patience. It's not the only virtue I need. So I think what I'll do is I'll meditate on this uh, for a period of days and then, uh, you know, ask again God to guide me as to where I need to go from here. But I would say if you're setting out on a program of gaining patience, let's say I have the idea, look, I'm, I'm grossly in need of this virtue of patience. And so I might say I'm, I'm going to persevere in this meditating on patience until I see something begin to give way in me, until I begin to begin to, I begin to see some practical benefit from it. Um, and I might see that maybe after two or three meditations on the virtue of patience. I might actually see myself going through the day mindful of the things that need to be changed and see some actual benefit practical benefit in the way I deal with things day by day, moment by moment, I might find myself, myself hey, this is the real challenge, driving, right? <laughs> driving is the challenge. Driving can turn the most mild-mannered uh, little, little old lady <laughs> you know, into a uh, uh, vengeance-seeking uh, <laughs> mad woman. <laughs> There's something about the road uh, being behind the wheel that uh, just just somehow re reaches very deeply into the soul and draws up the dregs of original sin for some reason. Just maintaining patience on the road. <clears throat> as soon as somebody finds him herself or herself being able to maintain patience on the road, now a person knows, okay, well, now I'm actually just beginning to get somewhere. Um, yes, there are things in life that set me off uh, routinely, and I may begin to find myself <clears throat> more mindful of the need to practice patience by not just, uh, you know, have, having that trigger draw that immediate reaction of fury, anger, um, frustration. I find myself more in control and better able to speak in a measured, mild, thoughtful way and not take personally what's happening, but look at it as a practical problem that needs to be solved in an intelligent, thoughtful way. And um, I realize my pride wants me to take these problems personally and turn everything into a personal problem, as though everything is a personal attack on me and my, my will. Uh, and the more I can overcome that pride, the more I can practice patience and looking at things objectively and saying, well, it's not about me, it's about our Lord here. <clears throat> and I have a practical problem and I need to deal with it, not as a personal problem, but as a practical problem. Whether it be uh, with my wife, with my husband, with my children, with my employer, with my friends, or a perfect stranger on the street, or a driver on the road. We need to get over on this, this, this hair-trigger temper of ours that comes from pride, saying everything has to be done according to my will. Um, and uh, we need to simply look at these things as practical matters that we have to deal with in a very practical way, motivated by a desire to see that God's will is done. Um, when the moment we begin to see something begin, it's like ice, you know, it's like the ice pack. And the moment we see, begin to see a thaw, we see things happening, right? And uh, that, that, that ice, iced-in soul of ours begins to thaw out by the grace of God. 
and we see that that uh, ice sheet is melting, <laughs> you know, then again, that is not necessarily the time to back off from the prayer, uh, for the meditation on patience. It's actually a time to uh, be more grateful to God and say, Lord, I begin to see something good things happening now. And you're making some changes in me and my attitude. I thank you for that. And I'm going to pursue this further. But, you know, whenever we're meditating, uh, we, have to, we have to ask God to be our guide. We ask, have to ask the Holy Ghost to be our guide. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do think that we need to persevere, especially where the need is very great in our character. When the flaw goes very deep in our character, we need to persevere in meditating about remedying that. But we have to also uh, not be so stuck on our own, our own ideas that we can't get the message if, if the Holy Ghost is saying to us, this is where I want you to go from here. And so uh, it's a matter of being responsive to grace, really. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, you've given us some beautiful fruit for meditation on the virtue of patience, uh, but Unfortunately, we don't have um, we don't have that from you for every one of the virtues. So let's say if I wanted to meditate on a different virtue, say perhaps prudence or or justice or temperance or fortitude, something like that. Where what source would I use to find some material for meditation for these other virtues? Well, uh, the saints always pointed us to the Gospels. You know, you have Saint Francis de Sales um, in his introduction to the devout life, very beautiful introduction to meditation, really, right? I have the book in front of me, The Ways of Mental Prayer, by Right Reverend Don Vitalis Lehoti, <clears throat> which is a, kind of a manual of mental prayer. And uh, there's a lot of useful information on that, too. Uh, you have before you here the, um, the divine intimacy, right? Carmelite spirituality for a meditation basically for every day of the year. Spiritual reading as a, as a springboard for meditation for each day of the year. I mean, you also have uh, uh, yeah, beautiful writings by St. Teresa of Avila, you have uh, writings of St. Uh, Catherine of Siena, also actually. And you have St. John of the Cross. There's so many spiritual writers that have written uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, um, just subjects for our meditation. In fact, uh, I know that the sisters have produced a book that you're familiar with. Maybe you'd like to tell us about that. Well, yeah, it's just a, um, it's kind of a compilation where they've drawn from all kinds of, of different sources, St. Francis de Sales um, and, and some of these other ones, some of these other great saints that you've mentioned. Um, but they, a lot of them have kind of formulated um, some of them in, into their own words to make it very, very user-friendly. It's a great, great tool for beginners and uh, follows a very definite outline. Um, that they, they kind of practice w within the book. But they also give the topics to actually meditate on. Yes, right? they're, they're all, yes they have them um, in very nice clear-cut sections of uh, lives of our, the life of our Lord, um, life of Our Lady, and some of the saints, and they go through various um, topics like that. So it's a, definitely a great, great resource. That's a great tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We should make that available, and one could order it directly from the sisters in Roundtop, right? Yes, At, yes. Uh, Daughters of Mary. Mm -hmm. An excellent nice. resource there for meditation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the problem we have with meditation is not that there's a dearth of subjects to meditate on, it's just there's a, a plethora of, of subjects to meditate on. So, so much, in fact, that it's difficult for us to choose. 
But so many saints tell us that we should pick up the, the Gospels and begin reading them. We should listen to the readings of the Gospels uh, Sunday by Sunday, and if we can attend Mass on other days too. We should actually look in our daily missals and look at the Mass for the day, whether we can attend it or not, and look at the, uh, the Gospel for the day and find something there. Uh, and it, it can be, again, just a sentence spoken of, spoken by our Lord, that um, we might ask um, the Holy Ghost to highlight that as we read it and, and to bring to our minds a, a wonderment at that and a, even a divine curiosity to say, I'm going to focus my attention, my meditation on that praise of our Lord. I'm going to turn that over and over in my mind. I'm going to ask the Holy Ghost to take me beyond the mere superficial understanding of the mere words to knowing more what was in the divine mind. What is in the mind of our Lord when he spoke these words? What does he want me to understand from this, what he says here? Um, so often we hear the, the reading of the epistle and the gospel on Sunday, and we, we just hear it. We don't listen to it. We just hear it. Comes in one ear, goes out the other, and we never grow in our understanding of these things. That's what the God, that's what the sermon is supposed to be for. And yet, you know, you ask somebody a day later or two days later, well, how'd you like the sermon on Sunday? They say, oh, it was good. It was really good. What's it about? Um, no, don't tell me. Let me think. Let me think. And they're thinking. They think, what was it about? What was the sermon about? And you ask them, what was the gospel about? If you find out what the gospel was about, remember what that was about, you remember what the sermon was about. They're at a loss to tell you what the gospel was about. And um, this is, well, you know, imagine the, our Lord asking the apostles, well, remember what I gave the sermon about? Remember what that was about? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Uh, well, tell me, what was that about? Uh, well, um, uh, could you give me a hint or, uh, <laughs> you know, um, can you remember anything specific that I said? Well, of course the apostles could. Of course they could remember. We would think, right? But our Lord said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Why not meditate on that? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Why not meditate on that? So much of what our Lord said is so it's fertile ground for meditation. And with the inspiration of the Holy Ghost guiding us, we can delve deep into our Lord's own mind when he spoke those words and understand what he meant, what he wants us to understand uh, from, his, from his words. So anyway, uh, Tom, we have to always remember, though, in these meditations, we're still on the level of our own discursive thought, asking the Holy Ghost to guide our thinking. But this is not yet, this, this is proper to what is called the purgative way of beginners. Because the real objective we have is that we can use that as a stepping stone to get into the illuminative way. How do we get there? It not, our own efforts are necessary, but it will not be by our own efforts that we're going to make that step. By our own efforts, we're going to demonstrate to ourselves and to God, actually, that we're serious. We want to know him more perfectly. We want to love him more perfectly. 
And so we persevere in our meditations. We persevere when they seem fruitful. We persevere when they seem to be very dry and empty. But we persevere with the same motive, and that is we're meditating not to please ourselves, we're meditating to please God. And so whether we come away enriched and we come away reinvigorated and refreshed from the meditation, or we come away thinking, well, gee, I found that very, very hard uh, to concentrate. I found it to be a struggle. I just don't know that I really accomplished anything. But I'm not there to suit, my, suit myself. I'm there because I, I want to leave my mind and my, my heart open to God. And um, if God um, you know, fills me with sensible consolations and great thoughts, that's wonderful. If God is just testing me to determine whether I'm there to please him or to please myself, that's fine. I'm there for him. I'm there for him. You know, our Lord talks about this too. He talks about the servants who simply stand and wait. They stand and they wait. And they're serving, even if they're just standing and waiting. Our Lord talks about the, the good man of the house returning at the second, third, or fourth watch. But the servant remains waiting. He's on duty. He's on service, right? Like, like the guard, uh, the, the military guard who's on watch. Uh, you know, he's on watch, and there might not be anything to watch. There may be nothing going on. But his watchfulness is the proof of his fidelity, right? And so it is with us when we meditate. We can't expect God to feel beholden like Santa Claus, that he's going to arrive every time we, we meditate and, um, you know, toss in a, a sack full of presents <laughs> under our tree every time. Uh, we choose to meditate. No, there are times when our Lord simply wants us to uh, watch faithfully. Another example our Lord gives is the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins, right? And they're going to the wedding feast. And the wedding groom, uh, the groom is late. And so there they are, camped outside the gates. And so long that of the, there are five of the foolish virgins, as they're called, and the lamps oil begins to run out, and the flames are beginning to flicker out. But there are the five wise virgins who maintain their vigil there uh, because they have a sufficient supply of oil, which symbolizes divine charity. So that when the bridegroom comes, they're ready to go into the wedding feast. And so, yes, it's important that we meditate and that we derive great, great fruits from it, and we feel the great benefit of it. But it's even more important that we persevere in our willingness to meditate and turn our mind and thoughts to God when it seems that God is just uh, watching us to see if we are there for him or for ourselves. And those who are there only insofar as they figure whether well, they're getting something out of it, and then when they don't, then they simply walk away, give up. Then they, they don't have what it takes, the perseverance, to, uh, for the next step. That dryness, uh, ironically enough, 
For beginners, when they begin to meditate and they persevere past the first stage, they find a real fruitfulness in their meditation. <clears throat> but as they continue that, God will try them. And they will find then that their meditations seem very dry. And they may figure that they lost something or it's pointless to continue. And this is a tragedy because they give up just at the wrong time. <clears throat> because what God is doing is he's, he wants to bring them to the next step. The next step is the illuminative way. God is bringing them out of the pablum of, of babyhood, right? And he wants them to come to the next level where he can begin to speak to the soul and enable them to almost, like St. Paul, to be wrapped to the third heaven and, and um, given the thoughts of Christ become very present in their mind. And they have a much deeper, deeper understanding of the spiritual life. God forbid that that should happen to us, that we should um, simply wander off, right? Uh, as though we become bored uh, at that point. Um, but we, we have to persevere through that because we know it's a sure sign that God is, is actually calling us to a higher level of the spiritual life. We just have to persevere through that, through that hardship. You know, again, it's like the soldier, and he goes through training and, and so on, but it's not real combat. But then when he's deployed and he goes into real combat, uh, that's where he really has to be, show his mettle, as it were. And uh, that's where he really has to be motivated in order to properly fight for what he loves. Mm -hmm. So in any case, mm -hmm. uh, I hope some of this was somewhat helpful. I'm, I apologize for my uh, difficulty in expressing uh, thoughts, but I hope you can translate what I'm saying into English. Yes, that's, yes. Right. that's uh, very beautiful. If I could, though, just ask a couple, couple more points oh, sure. that I wanted to clear up. Um, if I could could quote you from earlier in the program, Father, you said that there is no prayer without an act of love, where there's no act of love present. Um, but if, if up to this point we've talked about this discursive meditation and um, these considerations, uh, if that is the only part of our mental prayer, then could we say that there was not really any actual prayer proper there because we did not actually have an act of love? And a lot of uh, in the ways of mental prayer and other um, books on the subject, they talk about this affectionate prayer that should be like an outgrowth of our um, of our actual meditation and our considerations. Could you talk at all about this this affectionate prayer where we have these uh, these affections that we express for God, and how do we rouse these affections, and what does that look like? Well, you know, Tom, even to begin prayer, even to engage in any real mental prayer. As St. Augustine says, you have to turn your mind and your heart to God. So even the, the motivation to begin with, to pray, has to be prayer, love. It has to be there. I mean, it's, it's in its rather, I should say, meager stages. I mean, look, do children love their parents? They do, as children love, right? Is it real love? Do they really love their parents? But what does that mean for a child to love his parents? Um, he appreciates them, we say, right? 
the parents feed the child, clothe the child, protect the child. But let's face it, when we're born, we, we don't even know the meaning of love. We don't know what it is to love. I mean, a newborn baby can't love his parents or her parents. We begin to learn. We have to learn to love. And uh, it's not something innate within us, as it were. And as we go through life, we should learn more and more perfectly how to love. We learn to love more and more perfectly. Um, so, you know, even for someone to begin the spiritual life in the, in the spiritual childhood or infancy, as St. Paul says, you are yet too young or too infantile to have the spiritual meat. I now can only give you the spiritual milk. You know? So he talks about the spiritual infancy of those newly converted to faith in Christ. Well, we all have to go through that spiritual infancy. And although our love is very simple and very simplistic and is not very well developed, right? Um, yes, it does have the character of real love, but it's just the beginning. And um, it must be the initial motivator to even begin to pray. So there must always be that affection um, in terms of a love for God as a motive for prayer. Um, but that is meant to grow. And what you're talking about here, that effective prayer, okay, that effective prayer has, is, is based upon love that has progressed to a certain point where we recognize the goodness of God, the infinite goodness of God, at least in principle. We can't understand it, of course. We don't have the beatific vision. But still, we know our own nothingness, and we know uh, the, that God is, as I, as I said, the supreme being from whom all others derive their being or are given their being. And that, even pondering that thought enables our love to grow more and more for God and appreciate more and more who he is. So uh, the, as we pray more and more by meditation, our love for God is meant to grow and grow and grow. Okay? Ultimately, this is what we want the effect of our prayer to be. Read St. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he tells you that uh, the one thing that we can take from this world, <clears throat> even into heaven itself, is our love for God. That's the one thing that we'll have from this world that must go with us into heaven. We can't even take our faith with us because in the presence of God in heaven, we won't need faith. We won't need to see him reflected in the things of his creatures. Uh, we won't need to look through the glass in a dark manner. Uh, we won't need to read the catechism in heaven. We'll see God right? face to face, as St. Paul says. We'll know him as he knows us. Amazing, really. So you can't take your faith to heaven with you. You can't take your hope to heaven with you. Hope would be quite useless in heaven because... Hope is only possible when you don't have what you want. But when you have what you love, 
when you have what you crave, when you have your desires, and you have them perfectly, and you have them endlessly, that you cannot lose them. Then you don't need hope anymore. All your hopes have been fulfilled. The only thing that you have left then is your charity, and not only do you take that with you, but that is perfected, so that now in heaven you love God with all of your powers of loving. You fulfill the first great commandment. You love him with all your all of your mind and all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you fulfill the first great commandment in that union with God, that loving union with God. So that is what charity is. So the result or the 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 purpose of every single prayer that we that we in turning our minds and our hearts to God in this life is to love Him more and more and more perfectly. To devote more and more the, our powers of loving to Him until finally, ultimately, we love Him with all of our powers of love. All the powers of loving that He has provided us by nature and by grace, really. Um, so when you're talking about that effective prayer and meditation, you're talking about reaching a certain level of love for God that expresses itself in that wonderful outpouring of, of divine love for God. Um, and then you, you see yourself beginning to grow into that illuminative way, too, where God begins to meet that love by revealing himself to you as one who is beloved. Okay. There are those who are masters of the spiritual life who could express this much more clearly and much more compellingly. But um, anyway, I think for the interests of this program, that's probably as far as we should go now. Well, I, I would like to thank um, some sponsors of yeah. the program. You know, we're, we're looking to have sponsors for programs that we've been. <clears throat> there are some people who have come forward. Uh, who want to be even business sponsors for our program. Um, but among them, we have Robert and Allison Meyer, and they have an Etsy account called Solace Design Studio. And uh, they have expressed their love for the program, their appreciation for the program. They've sent us their Modernism, the Synthesis of All Heresy Mugs, which I'm putting to good use, actually. <laughs> And uh, appreciate appreciate them very much, but they also want to um, benefit our our uh, viewers as well. They're, they're actually offering on their site a twenty percent discount for any of the merchandise they have there. They have a pretty good supply of Catholic merchandise there, and the twenty percent discount applies uh, up to um, December thirty first of this year. And uh, all one has to do is uh, type in Pius X, P-I-U-S-X, capital letters, in order to benefit from that. Uh, so we thank them for their sponsorship of the program. Um, and uh, we, uh, uh, again, commend them to uh, the prayers of our viewers as they uh, try to uh, be of service to us, too. There are other sponsors who've come forward and said that they would like to be uh, somehow featured as sponsors of the program. They'd, they'd like to be associated with the program because the program means much to them. And uh, I appreciate that very much. So uh, may God bless you all, and I wish you a very blessed Christmas season. Remember, we are bound to celebrate the birth of our Lord all the way until February 2nd, 
right? It's a moral obligation of Catholics to celebrate the birth of our Lord uh, during this Christmas season, all the way to the Feast of the Purification, Candlemas, the Presentation, all come together on February 2nd, the last day of the Christmas season. So, celebrate, rejoice, rejoice. This, the Lord is, is here. The Lord is with us, our Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Father. Thanks for everything that you do, and thanks for being here tonight, and God bless you. Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Tom. Yep. God bless you and all of our viewers. Too. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.